0: Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod Blogs community at tripods.com, Jerry's Place for Canine Amputees and their People. Oh, that's really Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is Sunday, February 15th, 2015. Get your vet oncology questions ready, and join us in the live tri- Tripods chat room at tripods.com slash chat, or call 646-716-5450, because today we are honored to have on the line with us Dr. Deanna Worley, and Assistant Professor of Surgical Oncology at Colorado State University's Flint Animal Cancer Center. First, Dr. Worley is going to discuss the findings from her recent gait analysis study of amputee dogs, and we've got a lot to cover, so let's welcome Dr. Worley and get started. Thank you for your time today, Doctor.
1: Hi, my pleasure. Hey,
0: Dr.
2: Worley, this is Renee here, and um, I just we have so much to talk about. Really, really appreciate you giving up some of your Sunday to be here.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to help out. It's uh, looking forward to this.
2: Thank you. Thanks. Well,
1: um, as uh, as a
2: lot of our members will remember, last fall we published um, a news blog post about the study that you did, um, the uh, gait analysis study of three-legged dogs, and um, gait meaning um, how they move, how they hop and trot and and propel themselves forward, and and we were thrilled that somebody finally did a study like that. And I, I wanted to ask you today, what what prompted you to do this study and why has it taken so long for studies like this to to occur?
1: Well, those are great questions. And why has it taken so long is even probably a, a, a deeper question, considering that amputation is probably one of the most ancient surgical procedures ever described. Um, what prompted um, curiosity for me is that in some amputee dogs, we noticed that, especially in the 4 dogs, about a week later, there's a small percentage of dogs that would turn around and look at their back leg and actually were sore on their hind leg, and that didn't make sense to me because the surgery was all on the front leg, and so that's something we'd already we'd known and we accepted that phenomenon, and so we thought, well, what's going on? Let's figure that out a little bit more. In terms of you know why else hasn't been done more recently? Um, it's kind of a complex question, but the reality is that most studies take funding, um, financial funding, and um, there are very few people, few organizations that actually see value in funding um, this kind of, of, of study. Our hopes were, though, with, um, with getting the study out as one is I was curious what we're going to find. And two, would it be able to help with our other um, efforts at Colorado State University with cancer research, um, with bone cancer research to dogs? Like, do we need to be doing more limb salvage, limb sur- preserving surgeries, or you know, can we still sleep well at night with, with amputations? And then can mm-hmm. the tripod dog be used as a model for arthritis research um, since there's fewer joints, same amount of weight, um, and more wear? so a lot of different a lot of different answers but the biggest reason i think is cuz of the money yeah
2: you know unfortunately it does it does come down to that and with our new tripods foundation we just formed a, a 501c3 and launched it late last year and um one of our long term goals is to be able to fund studies like this so um so thank you for for taking this on we are very grateful and wanted to ask you, um, how did you find the dogs that you wanted to study? What were their uh, sizes, their breeds, and their ages? And and did they all have cancer, or or uh, a few of them, or how did how did you select your your uh, your dogs?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I felt like in order to do things ethically, I had to sleep all well night as well. And it made mm-hmm. sense that um, um, dogs that Need to have the legs amputated for cancer or for whatever reasons, you know, that, that's a perfect population. That's a realistic population that we see on a day-to-day basis. We got a lot of criticism from the journal reviewers for not using more normal dogs or more artificially um, normal dogs, like using um, research animals, and that ethically, I didn't feel good about. Like, why in the world would we take a leg off on a research animal and then put it across a a force plate? So it uh-huh. made sense to represent what we see on a daily basis in the clinics um, with our own eyes. So it, it, to me, is very relevant, very practical, um, very realistic. And, you know, on one hand, you know, things are not always going to be black and white, and that's what our that's what our day-to-day lives are in the clinic floor. The other uh, thing that we had to take into account is the technology that we had to evaluate how these animals move and adapt with their bodies. And we did have some limitations based on size. For instance, um, you know, German shepherds, uh, Labradors, St. bernards those are all great animals to use. But things smaller like um, a fox terrier, for instance, or a toy poodle, for instance, were too small to be able to walk across the different measurement plates that the, the animals had to walk on with, with their different feet. Oh, interesting.
2: Okay, so, so the majority of dogs were, were larger and
1: um, Yeah, so the middle aged uh middle aged dogs, and uh, they tend to be um uh, working breed dogs and larger. Um so a lot of the toy animals uh weren't included. Um, mm-hmm. it also reflected, you know, that most of the dogs that had their legs removed was because of osteosarcoma. Now we compared it with other clinone dogs that also had cancer in our hospital. Um, So um, an animal that had lymphoma, for instance, that was in good health, uh, that's also receiving cancer therapy, was used as a control, um, as a four-legged dog, for instance. Um, And so um, all the other animals that were used that were four-legged to compare with the three-legged dogs were also client-owned animals that were under the care of the oncology service.
2: Okay, well how cool. You know, um I think uh you you were on the right track for sure with the the subjects that you studied as far as the dogs with cancer because I'd say a good 90% of our members come to us because of of some type of cancer in the leg. Um we have Wyatt, our tripod spokes dog over here, who's a German Shepherd and lost his leg to neglect by a previous owner, but he's he's definitely an exception to the norm. Most people come to us because of bone cancer, so it's very relevant to our community. and really, really appreciate that. Um, now, what were tell us about, about what your findings were. This is really exciting. Um, what were some of the biggest differences that you guys discovered between front and rear leg tripods, and, and were you surprised at, at some of your findings?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, the biggest uh, concern that most people have with um, a, a, a dog that needs to lose one of its front legs or what we call the thoracic limb um, is, you know, is the remaining front leg going to bear all the weight? What we know in four legged dogs that are normal is that they put more weight on the front legs than they do on the back legs. And so there's always this fear that, oh my gosh, all the weight has to be borne now on the remaining front leg. What we found is that all of the three legs bear the weight. Um, mm-hmm. It's not completely equal. But what was interesting is that the remaining, the hind leg on the side where the front leg was removed works like a front leg. Mm-hmm. And that oh, leg wow. actually comes forward more um, during, um, during uh, movement. And the other thing that we found is that in front leg dogs, uh, when they want to go at any sort of speed greater than a walk, um, the typical trot pattern that you see with most normal dogs, they are not able to do that. Their their trot is a blend of a walk, a trot, and a gallop, um, all three uh-huh. combined. And so it's a kind of a pup pa 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 cat gait. And so um it's a very unique pattern that had never been described before. Um and so that was interesting. We also found that they um tend to have a little bit more motion in their in their wrist and the front leg, a little bit more motion in the knees and hips, and the back leg, and they had a fair bit of motion in their spine as well. Hmm. The pelvic lane amputee dogs, um, uh, we always felt like clinically that they uh transition uh, very quickly. Um, and, and before we couldn't really figure out why. Um, but what we found with the pelvic limb amputees, um, because normally with the four-legged dogs put more weight in the front, they don't have as much weight to have to worry about in the hind end. And so when they adapt, they uh, rely on their spine and their hind leg to do more adaption. Now, when I say they relay on their spine is that what happens is they swing their spine over to walk forward and their spine swings back um, straight to walk uh, to, to, to have the front legs move. And so it's kind of like a crab walk. And something, you know, I've always just kind of, you know, smile at myself when I see a hind limb amputee comes towards me. So they're always kind of in a diagonal-type posture uh-huh. since now because we see how much their spine actually moves and their hind leg moves. Um, uh, to adapt uh, to to those changes. We also found that they had a lot more motion in their ankle uh, than we expected. It's unclear if it's because a fair number of the dogs have underlying arthritis already in the hips and in their knees, um, but uh, something that we did notice as well. Now, um, when I mentioned, when I started the study, I was really curious, like, why were some of these 4 amputee dogs store on their hind legs a week later that makes sense right? yeah. because that hind leg actually comes forward biomechanically and actually takes on the role of a front leg. Wow.
2: That, that is so interesting. I is as, as someone who's, who's had both a, a front and a rear limb amputee dog, I mean, I, I, I'm loving this information and it totally makes sense. Um, you know, when we tell people when that, when their dog loses the front leg, get your, get your running shoes out because you're never going to have a normal walk again. Um, and it's it, now it's interesting to hear what, what the body actually does when they're doing that tripod hop, the, the gallop, as you described it. And our own Wyatt is missing a rear leg, and he does walk like a crab. You're right. His spine is very curved after he's been on three legs about five years now. So um, so I really appreciate this, this study. And when it comes down to it, what conclusions from the study can be used to help tripod parents keep their dogs injury-free, and and what other ways will these findings be used by different organizations?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question, and, you know, and that's always, you know, you have the heart of a clinician because we're always looking forward to how to help out health, and when you work on a paper project, you know, and you always have a very specific hypothesis to try to figure out, and so the study was really designed to describe the changes that are happening, and so it's hard to really say what we can do to improve outcome or improve prophylactically or how to prevent injury down the road. I think to Mm -hmm. me, uh, what the study says is just to be aware of that there's increased motion in the spine um, that we may not have fully recognized beforehand that, um, that there's going to be shifting of weight throughout the rest of the body. So different muscle groups are going to be used in ways that haven't been used before. Um, And so really um, that, some dogs may have a higher need for low chronic doses of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory therapy to help with that increased usage um, in, in joints. And so there's always this, this rush that I've seen clinically. A lot of families like to get their animals off of all pain medications as soon as possible. But if an animal needs something, I would say keep at the lowest tolerated dose that, that the animal um, would, um, would would need and that sometimes Long-term non-steroilers may be part of the equation. The other thing, since we kind of have to think of these guys as being fairly limber, limber and flexible, is that um, maintaining a healthy body weight. Let's get rid of excess um, um, weight that's not necessary um, um, that that may make it harder, burden for our friends to walk. And also let's think about, you know, moderate activity, you know, um, you know, so that they can continue to stay limber. It's, know, find a love activity they enjoy. It's not something that we're going to force them to do and not something uh-huh. that's going to allow them to be couch potatoes. That's not going to help them either.
2: Excellent advice. Thank you. I I, I agree 120% with all that, especially with the weight um, comment. Um, you know, uh, real quick, we, we do have a, a lot of uh, a tripod cat members in our community, and our friend Erica posted in our discussion forums, she has a question about her tripod cat, Jill. Uh Jill is two years post amputation for osteosarcoma. She lost a rear leg. And Erica wants to know, have you ever noticed a difference in the gates of kitties? Um, Erica says she does seem to tilt when she runs. Is there anything in particular I should look for?
1: Was it a front or hind leg? Uh, she
2: lost a hind leg.
1: I have to smile whenever I hear about cats. Cats are so motivated and and such a unique creature um just the, the it makes you smile um yes. in terms of um um what we've learned with research with, with cats. we don't have a lot of good research on, on how cats adapt with an amputee. mostly um clinically, I could say that most animals are so persistent and have such a strong sense of what they want to do and a strong sense of self motivation that they tend to Um, uh, do all the rehab and all all the uh, accommodations on their own. Now, you can be a little bit more specific with uh, if there's a right environment and a real patient physical therapist in a way that's friendly to a cat that's not shared space with other dogs um, that can help out. Now, I think there's a little bit more to the question I haven't fully answered. Could you refresh me on the rest of the question?
2: Um, She just uh, wanted to know... um Uh, have you noticed a difference in the gait of kitties and she seems to tilt when she runs. Is there anything particular I should look for? I think maybe what she's asking is um, if she should look for any abnormalities in her gait.
1: I suspect what she's seeing is just a normal adaption similar to what we see in dogs, What she's seeing a tilting. Uh
2: Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Great, well, thank you for answering that and you know we do have some callers on the line right now would uh would it be okay if you took a, a question right now?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to
2: great now just a just a warning it could be either about your your gate study or it could be about uh, cancer in general so uh, I'm That's not quite fine. sure it's kind of... okay great thank you and we do have a caller caller are you there caller are you there? Caller
1: from phone number
2: 244, last 244. Anybody? Hello? No? Okay. Next caller. Caller with the phone number 454. 454. Are you there? Caller with the phone number 454. No. I wonder if our controls are working okay. Uh, Let's try. There was one more. Let's see. Caller with the phone number eight one seven. Are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Wonderful! Yay! It works. <laughs> yeah, I can. <laughs> Who are we speaking with?
3: Uh, my name is Susan, and I'm I'm from Texas. I have a uh, seven year old English Mastiff, and I was uh, just th- thank you. So, I know we've got limited time, so thank you so much for allowing me to to ask a question on this. And uh, with you, not oh, Worley. Um, our English master was diagnosed last week after she suddenly had a, it looked like a bowed tendon, we thought, on her on her right front leg. And the, our vet did an X-ray and told us within five minutes it was osteosarcoma and that um, she'd have it less than a month with us. And, and it was really, I mean, she, she still runs around. She jumps and she plays. I mean, I just, I mean, same appetite and everything. And I, um, I mean, we, we were able to manipulate um, just massaging it and we gave her some remedial, of course, to down some the swelling of the joint. But um, is there? Is I'm wondering if maybe she had an injury to her to her to her wrist. Maybe it caused a lipoma from a deep contusion. And and that maybe is there. I mean, I, I know that you know, it's a recent diagnosis. We all go through. Could it or could it not be this or that? We don't want to hear the worst, but you know, I've got to prepare for it. But um, Dr. Worley, is there? Is there are is there considerations like that? Most vets make to see if it might be a lipoma versus a, a psychomic tuna, a tumor, or
1: yeah. You know what? That C word is so scary, uh, the cancer word, and and there's a there's a lot of misinformation that's out there, even within our veterinary community as well. If there's changes on the bone, it's the most common cause is um, bone cancer, and there are different flavors of bone cancer, but. Unfortunately, not all bone cancers behave the same, and I would suggest that maybe some additional testing could be done so that we can give you more accurate prognostic information. Um, It's rare for me to see a situation where we say the prognosis is going to be less than one to two months unless we know that there's already been metastasis to the lungs that you can see on chest x-rays. Typically, when we see changes on X-rays with the bone that looks suspicious for a bone tumor, now you're in Texas, so there's always a small risk that we actually may be dealing with a fungal infection. And there's tests for that too. But typically when we're dealing with a bone tumor, we like to make sure that it's not in other locations. We call that staging. So we would recommend typically having fresh blood work. There are some markers that we can see in the blood that help suggest how good or how bad this may be behaving. We also recommend chest x-rays to make sure that there aren't any changes in the lungs like nodules, lung metastasis. If there's nodules in the lungs, then, then the prognosis can be um, less, less, less optimistic. Now, sometimes when the lungs are still clean, the bone cancer can still spread to other parts of the body, uh, to other bones. And so there are other tests that can look to see if there's any bone spread as well. That doesn't happen as commonly, and those tests are more expensive, and so it really depends on what the goals are in decision-making. Typically with osteosarcoma, when we do um, what's called curative intent therapy, where basically we throw in the kitchen sink and everything else that we have in our tool belt at it, um, the survival curve suggests survival times of about a year. That means that 50% of the dogs are alive at a year, it means that at two years, we see about 25 to 35% of dogs alive at two years with aggressive treatment, and at three years, probably about 10% of dogs um, um, are alive. But so it also means, conversely, that not all of our friends are able to make it to a year in spite of our best effort. And the other thing I just want to interject, whenever we talk about aggressive treatments, we're talking about therapies that preserve a good quality of life things that are going to allow the animals to feel good and do the things that they normally enjoy during the course of treatment.
3: Is it unusual that when you, can, can a tumor actually move back into place, if you manipulate it, um, if you massage it and it straightens out her leg again? I mean, because, I mean, that's what seemed to really help. After a couple of days, of my Rimadyl, the swelling went down and we massaged and, and the uh, you know, it's like it went, made her leg straight again and, and she's walking, you know, almost like normal, <laughs>
1: Yeah, all right, let's let's talk about that as well. So dogs have different degrees of pain, feeling pain just like people. So some of us, you know, we get a hangnail and we don't want to use our whole arm. Other people have a broken finger and they want to still go out and go horseback riding. Um, so the different degrees of pain that animals can feel as well. Some dogs are really stoic, other dogs are they feel their pain, they're very sensitive. And um when we talk about each type of bone tumor we know that that's a pretty uncomfortable um, situation. And I've been told third-hand by people that have had the misfortune of both a bone fracture and a bone tumor that, hands down, the bone tumor is always going to be more painful than the bone fracture, that you have this constant boring sensation that never goes away, never remits. Now, the situation that you describe um, is very classic. I hear it all the time on clinics. Um, you know, the dog got better with a little bit of nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory and a little bit of rest. I see that. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not a tumor. It means that right now that the animal may not have as much pain, um, but it's a cycle that's going to be starting if that's really what's happening. Um, and so it's very, um, you know, if a dog has never seen pain medications before, just a little bit can make a big difference. So I would say that doesn't mean that there's not changes in the bone itself.
2: Thank you. You know what? You just answered uh, some of my questions I was I was going to ask you. Um you, you. Thank you for the call, caller. I really, really appreciate that, and I, I hope that you get some good news there, and anything we can do to help, just let us know, but um, Dr. Worley, do you see the, the majority of your patients, um, are they, most of them osteosarcoma, most of your, your amputee patients, or um, do you, what is your, your research area as far as um, canine cancer goes?
1: Yeah, great question. So, Clinically, when we see dogs with bone tumors, um, the majority of those dogs are going to be osteosarcomas. At the Flint Animal Cancer Center at Colorado State University in Fort Collins, we see about 100 dogs a year with with bone tumors, osteosarcomas. Um, Now, usually about 80% of the time it's going to be osteosarcoma, but there are other flavors of bone tumors that are also present that have different prognoses, some of them much better than osteosarcoma. Um, So we do see probably more um, in our clinics than we do anywhere else in the world. And it's a huge area of research for the center as well. It's probably the foundation of what got the Animal Cancer Center going in the first place.
3: Um, And a huge
1: impact for translational research. What can we learn in our dogs that can help people and vice versa? Um, and if you take a bone tumor from a dog and a bone tumor from a child and put them under the microscope side by side, you won't be able to tell the difference. It's the exact same tumor under the microscope. Now, personally, my research interests have been um, veering a little bit to a different part of the body, um, the lymphatic circulation system. We all know about the, the regular blood circulation system, um, where the, the heart pumps blood through the vessels and it returns back and forth, and there's this myth that we think that it's a water-type system that is perfectly sealed. There is a secondary circulation system called the lymphatic system that's not as well-known, not as well-described, um, where um, there's always going to be leakage of fluid from the blood vessels. About 10% of the fluid always leaks from the blood vessels. It travels in the tissues in the body, and then it gets reabsorbed through the lymphatics. The lymphatics start out in the periphery of your body and the little loose spaces of your tissues, and it travels um, one direction to get dumped back into the blood circulation right before the heart. Now, lymphatic circulation is important for a lot of different reasons. One uh, for me that um, really piqued my interest is that it's a big pathway for metastasis. So a lot of tumor cells, instead of circulating in the bloodstream, they circulate in lymphatic circulation. They lodge in lymph nodes and other locations of the body, and that can be hard to treat. Um, so it's an area that's uh, important for me because of how cancer can spread and be a bad actor, or be a bad behavior. So lymphatic circulation is also important for um, helping digest uh, fats in our body. So when we eat food, all the fats have to get absorbed through lymphatic circulation. So lymphatic circulation is filled with all of our white blood cells, um, lymphocytes in particular. So it's very, very important for just normal health of our body. And then it's also important for helping uh, return fluids back that leak out of the vessels back into circulation. Um, but my interest is in trying to figure out the route that how cancer metastasize in these, in these lymphatics can we get drugs in the lymphatics that actually can get the cells that are metastasized and do a better job with that as well? And can we give a chemotherapy drugs via that route that has even less toxicity, less side effects to people and dogs?
2: Boy, that would be great. That would be really great. Um, do Do you expect your, your studies to... Um, to actually turn into actual uh, treatments for osteosarcoma, you know? I mean, how does that work? Does, will it be a year or five years? Or I mean, everybody everybody wants this gone,
1: <laughs> really. And, oh, my gosh. And I, you know? So, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's right. It's true. We all want it gone. I mean, we have not seen as much prog- progress with survival changes in dogs like we have in people. And that's a sort of a source of great angst. Um, I would like to get a clinical trial going within the next year if I can, um, at ways to improve chemotherapy delivery to dogs with osteosarcoma. And so there's something some stuff that I have in the works, but nothing that um that's able to pull the trigger on and get started on yet. Okay.
2: Okay. Well, um we we have a, a caller uh on the line uh, Dr. Worley and um, boy you're really popular we (laughs) she uh, or he is from caller 919 area code are you there caller from 919
1: are you there hi uh, I'm here sorry
2: oh great oh
1: no problem Uh, go ahead and ask Dr. Worley your question thanks for calling Um, my question is about front leg uh, amputees and uh, the um amount of movement that you're seeing in the wrist, um, uh, our dog is now almost two years on it, and we're seeing so much flex on the wrist that it, you know, it's looking like he needs additional support. Um, but you're saying that they needed that additional uh, movement.
3: So how much oh, is too much and how question. much is it? I'm
1: going to interject we
2: because we have We have about 60 seconds left, Dr. Worley.
1: Yep, so I don't know if the movement is important at all or not for adaption. It's just something that we see. If there's a lot of movement that is starting to cause lameness or breakdown of the tendons or the tendons aren't quite as strong, then there still can be some things that your veterinarian can help you out with. The important thing to know is that there's still the elbow and still the shoulder that can help with movement of that front leg. And so if there's too much breakdown in the wrist joint, um, sometimes therapy is needed, not commonly, but is is sometimes necessary.
0: You know, Dr. Worley, thank you so much. We are so short on time. We apologize to anyone else who might not have been able to get through. So I just wanted to thank you and let listeners know that um, anyone interested in work can learn more at CSUAnimalCancerCenter.org or read our summary of the GATE analysis study and see some videos in the news blog at Tripods.com. Until next time, hear all Tripod Talk Radio episodes and find other informative podcasts in the Downloads Blog at downloads.tripod.com. Thanks again, Doug. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com.